0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or
1: just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Coming up on
2: Chopper's Politics. Bit louder, bit louder. (laughs) (laughs) I'll drown out these protests come on. One, two, three.
0: Up on if a mistake has been made, then I think the right thing to do is to acknowledge that um, and to correct course. That means drop it. I think that the forty-five to 48 pence tax cut is wrong, and I think that uh,
2: the therefore the, yes, it should go. Yes. I'm Christopher Hope, the associate editor of the Telegraph, and welcome to Choppers Politics Podcast, live from the Tory Party Conference. Yay! <laughs> Got there, thank you. Now, some of our audience here might not be aware yet, but you're getting a two-for-one deal—a bog-off deal—before the government bans them. Uh, this this podcast. First up, Michael Gove. Uh, he's been—he uh, uh, left the government early this summer, and after that, Jake Berry, the party chairman. Now, Michael Gove has an extremely comprehensive cabinet CV. Education Secretary, Chief Whip, Justice Secretary, Environment Secretary, Chancellor of Duchy of Lancaster, and Levelling Up Secretary most recently. Are they all there? One missing? No, that's it. Okay good.
0: Pretty comprehensive.
2: Michael Gove, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Now Michael, anyone who comes on this podcast gets a mug. So I'm a mug and I give you a mug. It says on here, I went on Chopper's Politics and all I got was this lousy mug. So here's your mug, Michael, for appearing.
0: Thank you. That's it. Will be put to very good use.
2: Now, a year ago, Michael Gove, our guest was Liz Truss on this very same podcast. She's now Prime Minister. What are your plans for next year?
0: Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to a quiet life. Um, uh, having been in government for on and off for 12 years now, so um, I'll be, I hope, uh, an energetic constituency MP. And hopefully I'll have the chance to to write and to think and to contribute to debates more widely yep. and appear perhaps weekly on your podcast <laughs> <Weekly>. Chris, <laughs> as,
2: <laughs> as the presenter's friend. Definitely a friend. What's your, the last year taught you?
0: That um, things can change with dramatic speed. Um, you know, We all remember 12 months ago that um, when Boris was prime minister at this conference, he was in a, a dominant position politically, notwithstanding the ravages of Covid. Um, all seemed set fair. And, of course, a year on, uh, we've had a a change of prime minister and, of course, a change of monarch. uh, And we're at a time of uncertainty and turbulence. So I think the principal lesson that the last 12 months have reinforced, but the last 12 years have also reinforced, is how difficult it is to predict with certainty what will happen in politics, what will happen in the news agenda.
2: We think some of your colleagues are staying away from this this, uh, event you're here, you're doing nine events, you brought some staff, w- what are you up to? Well, I, before I was uh,
0: uh, uh, released from the obligations of public service in the Cabinet by the Prime Minister, um, I'd committed to do a variety of, uh, of meetings, and I felt that it was important for me to, uh, to stick to that, to keep the, uh, the promise, so... Uh, I'm speaking at an event on uh, education, event on the, the environment, an event on levelling up. Okay. All of these are areas in which I've, as you mentioned, had a ministerial interest. And I think it's important when you have a party conference... Party members who work incredibly hard to make sure that Conservative MPs are elected, who are in many cases at the heart of their local communities, they want to have a chance to ask questions about, um, uh, of MPs about what is going on. Um, and we should, wherever possible, make ourselves available and accessible. Are you alarmed by
2: the right-wing lurch of your party?
0: No, I, I think words like lurch... Um, and badges like right-wing are often used, entirely understandably, in journalism to cover uh, changes which are at once more complex and more subtle than that. Um, So I I don't think that uh, there is a lurch. I think it is the case that there is a debate, obviously, as there always is within any political party, about what priorities are um, and what we should be concentrating on in the future. And one of the things that I very strongly believe is that the uh, majority that Boris won in 2019 was a one-nation majority. People wanted Brexit done, but they also wanted levelling up. They wanted uh, a Conservative government that was dedicated to improving the lives of uh, uh, those who hadn't necessarily been traditional Conservative voters and certainly weren't amongst the wealthiest in our society. And we've got to, I think, stay true to uh, that tradition and recognise that the people who lent us their vote in 2019 wanted to see a compassionate, one-nation Conservative government. And that was what Boris
2: was asking. So so there's no mandate for what what was announced last Friday? Well,
0: again, we just talked about how dramatically and rapidly things can change in the course of 12 months. Yes. It is important for uh, any government and any Prime Minister to respond to new circumstances. So... It is obviously the case that this is right, following on from Putin's invasion of Ukraine, uh, to put defending people against fuel price increases at the heart of her economic plan. And this is obviously right as well to look at every area of government and say, what can we do in order to foster economic growth as well? But even as we are protecting people from the vicissitudes of energy price rises and also looking to make sure that we can get the economy firing in all cylinders, we have also to make sure that we're looking after the most vulnerable in our society, the people who will be hardest hit by the chill economic winds.
2: And that's what you're worrying about. So when you hear today hints about cuts to benefits, and yet that'll go ahead next next year, won't it, on the eve of these big uh, tax cuts for well off people? That's a yes. worry. Um, I can entirely understand
0: again why a new team, new Prime Minister, new Chancellor, new um, uh, Welfare Secretary, will want to look across the piece at every part of how government operates. Entirely understandable and wise. The only thing I would say, though, is that um, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to argue that it is right to reduce welfare when we're also reducing taxes for the wealthiest. So, of course, you've got to keep a tight ship, but we need to make sure that the changes that we make are those which are in tune with... You know, the values on which Boris won the 2019 election, which are looking after the most vulnerable in our society, making sure that we're all in this together.
2: You said on the, on the TV this morning that some of these, the, the measures were unconservative, but party members voted for Liz Truss and they're conservative. So what's happened there? Is she, is she ignoring what, what that mandate was from the members? or No, I think it, Liz had a mandate uh, to, uh,
0: on the basis of the case that she made during the Conservative leadership election to look again at the corporation tax increase Um, and to look again at the national insurance increase. Now, personally, I am wary of the changes that she's making in both those areas, but she did win on that basis. But what was not discussed during the Conservative leadership election was the prospect of income tax cuts, and in particular income tax cuts for the very wealthiest. Again, circumstances can change. A Prime Minister and the Chancellor have a right to be able to say that given the specific economic circumstances we face, these additional measures are required. But I think that it is difficult to argue that if you are prioritising tax cuts, that the people who should be the first recipients of the biggest tax cuts should be the wealthiest in our society.
2: Given that... Would Tory MPs be be right to vote against the measure when it comes to the House of Commons in a few months' time? Well, again... On 45p, particularly on 45p.
0: I I think, Liz, in a very welcome interview that she gave to Laura Koonsberg earlier today, acknowledged that perhaps, um, with the benefit of hindsight, that uh, there were elements of the budget where the groundwork hadn't been laid. So there's an opportunity now, I think, for a course correction, a reset. I think that, overall, there were many measures in the budget... Um, which were welcome as a means of driving growth. And I wouldn't want some of those welcome uh, measures, changes, for example, to IR35, what may well be contained in enterprise zones and other growth measures, to be undermined by a tax change, which I don't believe is wise or necessary at this time. Will you vote against it? Well, again, I think we're going to have a conversation within the Conservative Party and within the country. Um, I've never voted against no, the Conservative No, it's, t- it's whip. difficult when you're backbench MP. I've never yeah. voted against the Conservative whip, and I therefore want to make sure that we can have a civilised conversation about priorities. Um, and as I say, I think that there is a lot that Liz, Quasi, and the team are doing which is right, um, and I want to make sure that we concentrate on that so that all of us can be in a position where we can make the argument full-throatedly for the measures that are necessary at a time like this.
2: If the vote were tomorrow, what would you do? Uh, It's not tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) So there's plenty of time for that conversation to take place. Have you been in touch with your friend uh, Rishi Sunak, who can't be here this week?
0: Um, I haven't been talking to Rishi over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, He uh, very kindly sent me a text message a while back um, uh, about something completely personal, and I sent him a text message back, but it was nothing to do with politics.
2: Who would you rather have as PM, Liz Truss or Boris
0: Johnson? Well, uh, Liz won the leadership election. Boris had to resign. Despite everything that's been written, I'm a Boris fan. Um, and, of course, Boris made mistakes, but I, you know, I didn't think anyone else could have won us that 2019 election victory. And I also think that, that Boris had an intuitive and intellectual understanding of what people wanted, both when they voted to leave in 2016 and when they voted for a Conservative government in 2019. And I think that we need to remember that the, that vote for change was also a vote for recognising the overlooked and undervalued communities... In uh, the southwest, the Midlands, uh, uh, and the north of England, as well as in uh, parts of Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales, that those communities needed a government that was acting wholly in their interests. And again, to be fair to Liz, Um, some of the initiatives in the mini-budget that she and Kwanzi unveiled do appear to be designed to accelerate support and investment in those areas. And if they work out, as I hope, then they
2: deserve all our support. And the idea is to grow the pie, isn't it? Yes. And help those communities you're describing. Exactly. And you subscribe to that idea. I'm I'm all for economic growth. But I think it's also
0: important to recognise that George Osborne was all about growth when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, and so was Rishi Sunak. Now, again, there can be a debate about which levers you pull, which judgments you make, but I think it, it would be wrong to think that previous Conservative chancellors haven't been focused on growth. But again, one of Liz's strengths is the ability to home in on uh, a, a, an essential truth and throw her rhetorical and intellectual weight behind it. Yeah. So in stressing the need for the right economic package and stressing that at this time people are worried... About uh, our standard of living and worried about the future of our economy, she's absolutely right to put our focus on that.
2: You, you said in the summer, didn't you, that um, your view of this trust was was on a holiday from reality over tax cuts and, she, and her plans would benefit the FTSE 100 executives before the poorest. Well, you're bang on the money with that, weren't you? Well, the specific point I was making then was about
0: the uh, failure at that point to have an energy package. At that point, Liz's team. To be fair, um, there were members of her team who were briefly were arguing that um, tax cuts alone would be sufficient, that there was no need for handouts. Um, I think Liz always recognised, and certainly moved very quickly when she was Prime Minister, to have an energy package. That was something that I believed was absolutely right, and I think she was right to move quickly on that. But I was still concerned also, as well as the absence during the campaign of a detailed answer on energy from from team Liz, which we now have. The other thing that I worried about was the impact of the national insurance and corporation tax changes. Nobody likes tax increases. But the conservative approach is to make sure that you have uh, tax increases that can be paid for. And the big package that Liz and Kwasi announced last Friday, more than a third of that were tax cuts. And the tax cuts at a time when we're borrowing to pay for them. Debt-funded tax cuts. And that is what worries And me. they
2: should go, should they? who should be reverse that third?
0: Well, my concern is the scale... Of that borrowing. I think that I'm not a financial market expert, but I think the scale of them was a contributory factor to some of the turbulence. But most of that that scale
2: is from national insurance, isn't it? Or or the corporation tax reversal?
0: My uh, view during the time when Boris was Prime Minister and Rishi was Chancellor was that we needed to do that. These were not tax cuts. Sorry, forgive me. These were not tax changes of choice. They were a direct consequence of the impact on the public finances of the COVID pandemic. Now, We've always got to keep um, our tax position under review. We've always got to try to be competitive and to attract investment. The arguments that Liz and Kwasi make in that respect are totally right. But everything is a matter of balance and judgment. And my worry is that we are betting too much on tax cuts when we are borrowing to pay for them. That is not conservative in my view. And my other worry is if we are going to make tax changes, then as we just discussed, a 45p to 40p cut for the very wealthiest that will benefit millionaires
2: but not benefit ordinary working people, that's not the right priority at, at this time. It's a signal though, it costs £2 billion, that's not a lot in big government spending, it's more of a signal to rewarding ambition and hard work, isn't it? I think everyone is
0: ambitious and hard working in this country and I think it is wrong to say that uh, on the one hand you are incentivising the already wealthy in this way, when you know that two billion pounds could be spent, to my mind, far more effectively elsewhere.
2: Is levelling up dead? No. Why not? Because these zones are are, 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 are the answer. Well, uh,
0: I think uh, both Liz and Quasi have stressed that uh, uh, the private sector needs to play an important part in levelling up. I completely agree with that. The plans that I laid out when I was in government were designed to make sure that those parts of the country that needed investment were more attractive destinations for investment. And we'll be hearing shortly from the new Tory party chairman, Jake Berry. There's no more eloquent champion of levelling up and making sure that the north of England gets the investment it deserves than Jake. So I'm confident that levelling up will be central to this government's agenda, indeed central to the political conversation over the next few years, because it's a stark fact that we're one of the most economically, geographically unequal societies in the developed world, and we need to make sure that the economic good fortune that in the past the south of England has enjoyed is also enjoyed even more strongly by the West Midlands, by cities like Birmingham, and in particular by the north and the south-west.
2: Do you worry about the party? I mean, is it imploding at the moment?
0: No. I think that um, it is a natural tendency for... Uh, For everyone involved in journalism, and I was a journalist myself, to simplify and then exaggerate—that's the first thing we were told by our news editors. Okay, right. Um, With you, with you, you're you're an
2: exception. Yes. Okay. Um,
0: um, And I think that no, Um, I think that the um, the Conservative Party has gone through the the difficulty of losing a prime minister in, in, in in Boris Johnson, who secured us that election victory on a on a great basis. Um, this is an opportunity for us to take stock and reflect, but to take stock and reflect at a time of, of huge turbulence, that requires both the rapid action that Liz has taken on energy, but also just an opportunity for us to make sure that the other steps that we take as a government are there to reassure people that the judgment that they made in 2019 was right and that we have the judgment to cope with the, uh, the squalls and the turbulence that this, you know, as Liz rightly said this morning, frankly, scary world situation have generated.
2: Do you see parallels between Liz Truss and Jeremy Corbyn in that a third of Tory MPs d- uh, uh, didn't only voted for her? The, the, the majority didn't vote, w- vote for Liz Truss when she became leader, and, they, and the members wanted her in power. Now she's in power, and Jeremy Corbyn didn't get to get controls of the, of the government machine.
0: No, I don't. Um, I can see why it's a, a comparison that, that someone might want to draw, but no way, no. Jeremy Corbyn is a... Uh, I don't want to be cruel, um, but he is... He's, they won't mind. He's an eccentric fringe figure with unsavoury friends and uh, uh, and y views. Um, and, you know, now that, now that he's um, uh, uh, at home with his allotment and his aubergine jam, I wish him well for the future. And, you know, that, that, that's all fine. You know, he can join the long line of English eccentrics uh, now that he's very far away from power. Uh, whom he and can Labour too. At. He's left Labour too. A- exactly. Whom we can smile at rather than be terrified of. Liz is a highly effective, very intelligent, very focused cabinet minister uh, uh, in all the time that she was in cabinet. I worked with her at that time. Um, and I think that people shouldn't underestimate Liz. And even though I may disagree with aspects of uh, what Liz and Kwasi announced on Friday, um, uh, I think that uh, Liz has formidable skills. And uh, I hope that we are in a, in a position to correct course on one or two policies and to give Liz the chance that she needs. Are you rebel leader now? No. I am, I, I'm just a
2: back-venture. So, some quick questions, some quick questions, Michael Gove. Michael Gove, are you a snake? No. Do, do you mind being called a snake by people but It's one of the closest and more generous things I've been called in my political career. <laughs> are you writing a memoir? No. You, do you keep a diary? No. What's the difference between a journalist and a politician? Uh, you should know this because you are being uh, both.
0: The uh, journalists have more fun. Uh, and uh, uh, politicians uh, the, the, the key thing is if you're a journalist you can change your mind every day if you're a politician that should be a little bit more difficult
2: Will Brexit ever get done?
0: It is done Not for Northern Ireland it's not I think it's a mistake to say Brexit hasn't been done. It has been done. There are still issues to resolve with the Northern Ireland Protocol, but I think that it uh, it, it is important that we concentrate on securing the benefits and also um, making sure that the the reasons why people voted to leave the European Union are respected. So it will always be the case that we will be having conversations with our trading partners and friends um, uh, on the continent of Europe in the same way as we were with with others. That's just natural. But Brexit
2: is done. What advice would... The Michael Gove of today give the 25-year-old Michael Gove of the past. Uh,
0: you're probably wasting your money if you're a QPR
2: fan. <laughs> Would you go on Strictly Come Dancing? No. I'm a celebrity? No. Grammars, yes or no? No. Definitely no? No. Final question, an important one. Do we need a new royal yacht? Well, I am uh, on record, as I think you
0: know, writing during the coalition years that not that it should be paid for by the taxpayer but that having um a a flagship vessel which would be a a floating trade platform which could also be used for other purposes would be a good thing i think it's very difficult to justify in the current economic circumstances as a priority from the mod budget yes um, uh, I, I don't think we should be spending taxpayers' money or using government time on it. Um, but I was pleased to see that um, the latest convert to uh, the case for it is Lord Mandelson. I don't often agree with uh, the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that uh, uh, it,
2: for the future, it could be an asset, but it is not a priority now. So we live in hope. Right. Questions? Any questions from the audience, please? In- person here, front, front left.
1: Michael Bracken from Beaconsfield. Uh, Michael, you gave a really elegant uh, introduction at the, f- the last Hustings, and in that Hustings you said that you, whoever won, we should come together as a party. Are you following your own call?
0: Yes. I think it's vital that we uh, recognise that uh, the Conservative Party, at the time of the next general election, needs to present a united and a coherent force. But I think it's also important that we recognise as a party that we need to acknowledge when mistakes have been made. Right at the very beginning of my ministerial career, I made a terrible mistake in the way in which we cancelled the Building Schools for the Future programme. And I recognised then that the right thing to do was to show, on that case, um, contrition, um, and to uh, recognise that error. Um, uh, During the course of the uh, campaign, when Liz was running for leader, um, her campaign briefed out a plan for regional pay in the public sector. Um, And Liz made it very clear that that plan would not be implemented. I think uh, there are two specific concerns that I have about the unfunded nature of tax cuts and about the 45p tax cut, which we now have an opportunity to reflect on. Um, And I think it would be wise for us to recognize that they are neither the right economic nor the right political response to the situation that we face at the moment Um, And, uh, you know, there are other things that Liz and Kwasi announced in that budget, which I think are good and timely. And I think that across a whole range of other issues, um, I'm confident and optimistic about what the government can achieve. But if a mistake has been made, then I think the right thing to do is to acknowledge that um, and to correct course. That means drop it? I think that the 45 to 40 pence tax cut is wrong.
2: And I think that uh, the... Therefore, yes, it should go. Yes. Next question. Uh, Chap there, yes, sir. Thank you. The government's talked about the need for supply-side reforms as part of their growth package, including potentially a new planning and infrastructure bill. Um, Is it... Politically possible to pass a sweeping standalone planning reform bill, how likely do you think that will be able to get through the Commons?
0: I think it is the case that uh, we can reform our planning system. Um, and again, I, I think that uh, we need to make changes. Um, when I was uh, at the levelling up department, uh, we were proposing changes to our planning system. And I think that there are certain things, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Liz and Simon Clark agree with these priorities. Firstly, We need to address concerns that people have about uh, the quality of new homes. People need to feel that homes are high quality and beautiful. The second concern that people have is infrastructure. When new homes are built, pressure is placed on access to GP surgeries, access to primary schools, pressure is placed on our roads. We need to make sure that there is infrastructure alongside the new development. We need to make sure that there's democratic control, that local communities consent to what's happening. We need critically to make sure that the... Environment is protected, and there are really good proposals that have been brought forward in the past to make sure that when developers get planning permission, money is set aside to enhance the environment overall. And we also need to make sure that new developments are neighbourhoods, communities, not just dormitories. Um, And I think if all of those points are made, then we can have very effective planning reform, which can see more homes being built and local communities accepting uh, that those new homes are going to enhance the quality of life um, in the areas where they live.
2: Um, yes, this here then where we're, we're Is This is the Giles, yeah. Uh,
1: Sanders Gulhani from Glasgow. Um, you spoke of levelling up uh, of places around England, but Scotland is suffering because the SNP government's inept, uh, and I know you're a strong unionist. Uh, in Scotland, the SNP have also increased taxes, um, and my concern is the lower middle-to-middle earners who are, or, as it stands, one to £2,000 worse off. So what do you think we should be doing directly to help the people of Scotland and what should we be doing
0: for levelling up? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. And congratulations on your election to the Scottish Parliament um, just over a, uh, a year ago. Um, part of a fantastic cadre of new members of the Scottish Parliament that show that the Conservatives are the most effective opposition to the SNP on every front. And you're right to draw attention to three big issues. One, uh, the whatever position one takes on uh, tax, the SNP are... Creating an environment in Scotland which is hostile to investment, um, and that concerns me. And it, should, and it concerns me as someone whose family, whose parents, and whose sister uh, live in Scotland and are directly affected by that. The second point is levelling up. It is absolutely vital that we make sure that economic opportunity is spread across the United Kingdom, and there are parts of Scotland which have been overlooked and are still overlooked by this Scottish Government that do not get the investment and the attention that they deserve. Not restricted to our island communities, but as you will know, and as I'm sure. Assiduous readers of the Daily Telegraph and other newspapers will know uh, the Scottish Government have failed to put in place the transport links that those fragile communities need. It's been a spectacle, a festival of incompetence. And then the final point, um, again, I think is right, that um, we need to make sure that the UK Government has a strong presence in every part of the United Kingdom. So I was very pleased when Nadim Zahawi um, was in Orkney uh, last week stressing that the UK Government is going to stand up for every community there. If the Scottish Government wants to work with the UK Government in the interest of the Scottish people, that is a good thing, and we should put party politics aside. But it's also important that if the SNP pursue, as they have done, independence and constitutional upheaval at the expense of the welfare of the Scottish people, we need to call them out and to stress that we are acting in the interests of every citizen of the UK.
2: Okay, next one. Hello, uh, Dan Bloom. Have you spoken to other
1: uh, backbench MPs ahead of the Finance Bill votes, and Given you've expressed concern about the scale of the borrowing, but the 45p rate is sort of only 2 billion a year, uh, what else do you think should be dropped or reconsidered from the mini-budget?
0: On the first, no. Um, And on the second, I think it's important for the work that the Office of Budget Responsibility uh, is doing and for the work the Treasury is doing on what's been called the uh, medium-term fiscal strategy or plan to come forward. So, again, my worry... Is um, uh, tax cuts on the scale with borrowing on the scale entail risk? I'm a conservative. I think that you should be judicious about the risks that you undertake. But I think the work that the OBR and the Treasury are doing can help us to
2: ensure that we come to a balanced view about what is right. Okay, uh, lady standing up there, behind um, there, lady Lady white. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Uh, Imogen from Cornwall.
1: Um, do you share the view? I ask you to put your former Hatter's Environment Sec on. Do you share the view of many that in with this new administration that we've got going forward, in their pursuit of economic growth, that they're actually backtracking on the, um, the green economy and the green growth that we've seen with the former Secretary of State going through?
0: I haven't seen any evidence of that yet, no. Um, and again, um, I know that uh, Liz cares about... Uh, natural beauty. She cares about uh, uh, rural Britain. Um, and Simon Clark, who's doing the job that I was doing uh, a couple of months ago, is someone who is passionate about um, uh, environmental uh, improvement and enhancement. So I know that there's been some fluttering in the duff cuts about it, but my, my strong sense is um, that uh, there is a, a strong commitment to environmental enhancement and to recognising but if we want sustainable economic growth in the future, um, that making sure that we continue to be environmental leaders is part of that.
2: It's the the, the chat up here with the glasses are handy. Yeah. that's it. Thank you. Um, Alok Mitra from Watford. One of the things that um, the cost of uh, the energy uh, cap is obviously very high. Should we not be concentrating on getting those prices down rather than just giving a handout? Because as I understand it... The energy um, regulation is broken, and we seem to be taking the highest price for per unit based on gas prices, and not on uh, the true cost of production, which is what's giving rise to this um, extraordinary, uh, you know, profits for the energy companies.
0: I think you're spot on. I think there are a number of things that require to be done. And again, to be fair, uh, Liz, Kwasi, Jacob have all been um, uh, talking about some of the, the, the broader changes that we need to make. So we. We need to, wherever possible, increase our domestic supply of energy in order to move towards energy security. We need to look at the pricing mechanism in the market, as you say, which is, uh, as you quite rightly point out, over-aligned on world gas prices and not reflective, perhaps, of the prices of renewables and other things. We also need to press ahead with uh, energy efficiency measures, everything from home insulation to supporting the um, more effective um, and efficient use of energy in the public sector and elsewhere. So the package that Liz um, has introduced is very welcome, absolutely necessary. um, But some other steps are required. And again, to be fair, government ministers have been talking uh, very energetically in all these
2: areas about the changes we need. Well, Michael Gove, thank you for joining us today on Chavez Positive Podcast. Thank you. If you're finding this podcast interesting, you may also like our new daily podcast, Ukraine, the latest. Every weekday, The Telegraph's leading journalists bring you the latest news and the most informed analysis of President Putin's invasion of Ukraine. From our newsroom in London and from the ground. The Russian
1: machine has been ground to a halt now for well over a week, and that is just staggering.
2: NATO has to act now. It has to do more than it's currently doing. Otherwise, in this Ukrainian MP's words, you'll have to evacuate the whole continent.
1: One video that we found to be incorrect was bomb squads seen in the Donbass region. The metadata of this clip shows that it was created in 2019, not today.
2: Search Ukraine, the latest, in the same place you're listening to this and click follow so you don't miss an update. Now, my next guest is known for championing the voices of northern Tories, whether it's in his role as northern powerhouse minister or as head of the Northern Research Group of Tory MPs. Recently, he returned to government as Liz Truss's new cabinet as chairman, chairman of the Tory party. Jake Berry, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thank you, Chris. Great to have you on. Now, Jake, before you start, I've got a, a second mug here for you. That's Michael Gosman. It's your the mug for appearing on this podcast. It's got it. lipstick on. Who said <laughs> no, it, be, it before me? <laughs> now, Jake Berry, you're the 11th party chairman in 13 years uh, the, of this, in this, How long would you stay in this job?
1: Well, I mean, subject to not making a complete mess of this interview, um, it's my determination and the commitment the Prime Minister has given me to see our party through to the next general election. Um, and that's really important because what we need is stability in the party. We need conservatives to come together campaign and make sure we win that historic fifth term chris
2: you weren't here with michael gove in his interview he talked about how he he is unhappy with the 45p tax code he thinks it should be reversed but he won't say he'll vote against it when it comes to the house when it comes to vote in the commons what, what would you say to him
1: well look, michael is an absolutely outstanding member of our conservative family he's been a huge servant to our party and someone i've had the privilege of working with over the years um, look on that 45p tax rate. I think it was the right thing to do. In fact, going down to 40% is the same level as it was every single year of the Labour government. The top rate of tax in the United States is 30%. As Conservatives, I think we should be going out there making the argument for a low tax, high growth economy. And you know that's what we're going to do at this conference. And look, when it comes to the vote in the House of Commons, you know, I'm sure colleagues will support the government uh it's a matter when that time comes for the prime minister and the chief whip to see what they do about it i've said what my view is but obviously decisions will be made at the time
2: should it be a free vote
1: no absolutely not my view it's a it's a it's a budgetary measure colleagues should support it we have a new prime minister a new
2: government and colleagues
1: have got to get behind that
2: why should red wall mps vote for it
1: Well, because Red Wall MPs, you know, stand to gain the most from creating economic growth. I want a a rising spring tide across our United Kingdom of growth that floods through every door. I know a little bit about those Red Wall MPs. I like to think of myself as the first brick in the Red Wall. But also I've been campaigning in most of their constituencies. And it's a mistake for commentators and the commentariat in London to think that what people who voted Conservative in 2019 really want... Is some sort of Labour-like government. They don't. They want a Conservative government because they want a government to create jobs, growth, security for them and their family. And the way we do that is by having a growing economy. And and you know I think that will be a huge benefit to red wall areas, but everywhere in our nation.
2: But do you worry about how it looks if you're going to if you end up this government ends up uh, cutting benefits as you push through a big tax cut for the, the the most well-off in the country? I mean, that's a hard sell in, in anywhere, isn't it? I think people are judges by what we do
1: not what what we say often or what even they see in the media and when that sort of paycheck drops through the letterbox or more likely drops in your inbox in this modern age with a, a tax cut for every working family from their national insurance when they get their gas bill and they see that it's not going to be up to six grand it's going to be two and a half grand they will know and understand that we're driving for growth not as some academic economic essay in economics a level i didn't take economics a level but some academic sort of you know purist approach we are doing it to drive real wage growth and prosperity to uh, into every house and i think when they can feel it and feel better they
2: will support us do you worry the party has failed to explain it properly i think we've got a a,
1: a better job to do with it you know in truth I, i don't run away from that and i think this conference is a a brilliant opportunity to explain why, as conservatives, we believe in growth. Why we believe in a, a low tax, you know, high growth economy and the benefits that will give to every single household in our United Kingdom. And I look forward with colleagues from the stage and up fringe events like this, Chris, uh, uh, making making that argument.
2: What was what was the rush about announcing these? This tax cut last last Friday, when it comes in next April, couldn't you have done it over, like prepare the ground, get the idea, get the debate going?
1: Well, look, the Prime Minister's been clear, we need to deliver, deliver, deliver. We have uh, 18 months or so till the next general election and we had a situation where the economy had anemic growth. We had the highest tax burden for 70 years. And as Conservatives, we believe the way you can kick-start the economy is inject confidence, lower taxes, more business-friendly environment, and we need to get on and do that. And in that book there, pass it here. Yeah, so yeah, it's the new manifesto. Here it is. This book here is not the new manifesto. If you look at page 33, Chris Hope will have done this. Page 33 through to the end of the book, it lists 100, 100 projects that were going to be delivered over the next few years that were stuck in civil service treacle and all of those projects from the blackpool airport blackpool town center growth zone and the m27 junction eight a417 okay, improvements will be delivered because we are getting on and delivering for this country
2: this is um the uh, growth plan announced by the chancellor on friday in case you're wondering what the document document is you said there there's 18 months until the next election are you saying now it's may 24
1: well look we'll have to wait and see i You know, who knows when it will be. Well, you know um, who will, but you're chairman. (laughs) um, You know, in the normal course of the electoral calendar, it's 18 months or so
2: away. Is that enough time to get the growth you need? I mean, I I I think it might go long to try and get the maximum time to grow the economy.
1: Well, look, we've got a tough winter ahead of us. And I don't think any of us should run away from that. There's been a lot of help that the government's done already on energy bills, on people's tax. Uh, But we've got to get through that tough winter. You know, which, by the way, wouldn't have been tough. It would have been impossible. I'll tell you a little story. I went to a dairy farm called Pleasant View Dairies in my constituency, and they told me that if we hadn't acted on the cost of energy for business, they were stopping producing milk. They couldn't afford to run the fridges. They couldn't afford to run the milking parlour. They couldn't afford to put the diesel in the tractors if they, once they paid their electricity bill to run the dairy. So we had a choice. There were millions of businesses that were going to go bust, tens of millions of people who were going to lose their job it wouldn't have been a tough winter it would have been the winter from hell and the prime minister and the government saw that acted ensured that we showed that we're going to back british families and we're going to keep doing it what's your and back british dairy farmers
2: what's your strategy to win in the next election um oliver dowden had a had a 80 20 plan hold on to 80% of the seats they won in 19 win 20% more elsewhere what's your plan
1: well, my plan is, uh, is pretty similar, but I subscribe to the view that, in truth, people often vote for the party who works hardest for their vote. So we're going to be knocking on millions of doors. It's something I know about, by the way. I canvassed 14,500 people in my own constituency over the summer break. And, uh, personally, you know, personally. I know, with a team. The I team. didn't knock on every door myself. <laughs> God, guys. Uh, with a team and some of it was surveys. But, you know, we are going to work harder than the Labour Party. The Liberal Party says they have the best campaigners in the country. Does the Liberal Party have the best campaigners in the country? I thought they didn't. We're the best campaigners in the country. So we're going to take the fight to every doorstep in every city, in every town and every village and make that positive case for a Conservative government that's growing your economy, not for the sake of growing the economy, but to improve the lives of you and your family.
2: What's your case for young people? Why should young people vote Tory?
1: Well, I think young people should vote Tory because you know young people want to get that higher wage job. They don't want to have to live somewhere like Rosendale and Dolan in East Lancashire, my constituency. If they want a good job, get on the train, go to London, have the brain drain of talent away from the area. And by levelling up these communities, not least with the growth zones we've announced in the growth plans, we are saying to young people, look, if you want a great, secure, high-wage job, you no longer have to leave your hometown, you no longer have to leave that area, and, um, and the Conservatives have a plan to deliver it.
2: Now listen, three, three, three weeks ago, your mate Boris Johnson was still Prime Minister. Are you sad he's gone?
1: Yeah, I am sad Boris has gone. He's a really good personal friend of mine, as you know. I think he was an extraordinary prime minister who delivered us an historic election victory. He also delivered Brexit. He also saw this country through COVID. I think as a former prime minister, he should hold his head high. Uh, As conservatives, we should say thank you to him uh, for all the brilliant work he'd done. But, you know, that's politics. Life moves on. We now have an extraordinary new prime minister heading a new government that is doing great things for our country.
2: Do you feel let down by him? He had this huge majority, ten years, a year ago he was, he was going to rule for 10 years as Prime Minister, was one headline in one newspaper, and now he's
1: out. Well, I don't feel, you know, I've said all the things he's done he should be proud of, um, I think he can hold his head high, and I know when he does come back to conference, for understandable reasons he is not here, we will welcome him back as one of our friends.
2: Next year? Who knows? Will he be welcoming in a government again, in a, in a, in a Tory government?
1: Chris, as you well know, the, <laughs> the only person who can make that decision isn't sat on this stage.
2: OK. So some quick questions. We're in Birmingham. Mild Korma or Spicy Vindaloo? Well,
1: I think it would be a Spicy Vindaloo.
2: Aston Villa or Birmingham City?
1: Uh, Liverpool FC, I'm sorry. <laughs> of course, yeah. What's your favourite
2: karaoke song?
1: Um, it is Jolene by Dolly Parton. Your flaming ox of auburn hair, your beauty is beyond compare. <laughs> You're talking to Come me. Come on, Chris. <laughs> okay.
2: Milk first or last in tea?
1: uh milk last
2: will brexit ever get done in northern ireland yeah i absolutely believe it will grammars yes or no
1: look i have a brilliant grammar school in my constituency for every place they have available we have 10 applicants um you know i think parents are showing with their feet what they want to happen is that a yes <laughs> that's a uh, parents should have a choice
2: <laughs> okay and do we need a new royal yacht you led the campaign back in the day
1: you know, there is no greater expert than you on this new Royal Yacht. I, I remember that the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, committed to a, a flagship, and I hope and believe that um, that's a commitment that we'll stand by.
2: Right, any questions? Any Hands up, any questions, please? Thank Jake Barry.
1: Hi, Jake. i from Croydon.
2: What is your plan in having
1: more women in politics? Well, brilliant question. Thank you very much. Um, I am going to be working really hard with the candidates department to... Uh, attract more brilliant people, full stop, to our candidates list, um, but also working really hard to ensure that we get to the the target that Brandon Lewis set when he was party chairman, which is to have 50% of the candidates list brilliant women and 50% brilliant men. I think that's a reasonable target for us to do. We're doing a lot of work in CCHQ. And, but what we really need, and I think you can be the outrider for us, we need people particularly women, to go and talk to other women and say, come on, play your part in public life. And the difference between women and men, and I had this conversation with Theresa May, who I've met to talk about, uh, you know, the brilliant work she did, attracting more women into politics, both with Women to Win and, of course, as our Prime Minister, is men wake up in the morning and go, well, someone's got to be a member of Parliament. Why shouldn't it be me? Because they are that arrogant. In fact, I was that man once. Uh, And uh, women... Um, need to be asked at least two or three times. So I just want to send a really strong message out there to 53% of the population. You know, please come forward, talk to us. We will work with you. We will get brilliant women members of parliament we have already to mentor you because I just want
2: more outstanding people to
1: be Conservative candidates. Well,
2: what are you doing to stop abuse of female MPs or female candidates it is, well, bru- no, this, is this brutal, this, it's brutal the, yeah, stuff. Yeah,
1: this isn't a problem uh, just in the Conservative Party.
2: It's, it's across politics. Across politics. But you're in divide. charge of the candidates for the Tory yeah, party.
1: Yeah, no, so, you know, what we're going to make sure, and I think you'll see a bit of it at this conference, is that, you know, we should have a, r- a real zero-tolerance approach to bullying, to misconduct. and um, But, you know, more widely, beyond my control, beyond the secure zone of this conference, I do think we've, you know we've got a real culture of sort of the online pile on when people say things and you know there's probably not that much i can do about it and there's obviously been a tragic case in the news this week about social media's companies stepping up and taking responsibility i just think we all actually personally have a duty to behave in the way online as we would face to face and i hope that everyone at this conference will behave in that way and that we can see uh, a better kind better gentler kind of politics i think it was once called
2: gentleman there please Uh, By the way, congratulations on your new appointment.
1: Um, I'm Ron Ramage from Whittam, Pretty Patel's seat. Uh, Could I ask a question? Next year, we've got district elections coming up. What is the message I'm going to have to do at the door? Because I've been selected as a candidate for that election. Because uh, at the moment, obviously, things are not looking too good for us. And uh, I feel we need a more positive message before that comes around next May. So when that poll came out on Thursday, which had a 33-point lead for the uh, Labour Party, on the same day, I had not one but two by-elections in my constituency, and we won both of them uh, with a swing from the Labour Party to the Conservative Party. And those of you who've been at counts and do the the five-bar gate with the postal votes and the five-bar gate with the votes on the day, I can tell you that on the boxes we won the postal votes a couple of weeks earlier and the votes on the day. So a lot of it is about we've just got to work really hard because a lot of that canvassing we did over the summer, I know you'll be doing it, I can tell, a lot of that canvassing we did over the summer was in those two wards. But secondly, look, you know, you will hear over the months and weeks to come uh, the Chancellor's medium-term economic growth strategy. You will hear a brilliant speech from our Prime Minister on Wednesday setting out her vision for Britain. And the final thing is, you know, let's go out and proudly advocate for the Conservative Party. I think for a a little bit too long we haven't just had, can you remember the last time you had a discussion on the doorstep with someone about Conservative values, about why we believe in growth? It's not because we believe in it as a party, as I mentioned earlier, which we do, it's because that doorstep you were on We want the person who lives behind that door to know that their children's lives will be better than their lives. The best days of Britain lie ahead of her, not behind her. And those more secure, highly paid jobs which enable people to deal with this tough winter are something we are focused on delivering. So hard work, getting the message out there and, you know, the government will do everything we can.
2: Why have your colleagues been so quiet since the mini budget last Friday? And that's allowed this kind of narrative to develop about... Uh, the 45p tax rate i mean a lot of the the good things you could argue which is the huge um, bailout for people with um, on energy bills you know why well, 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 that, that can be talked well, about more you I mean, tell
1: me because well, apparently because you're open to an anonymous briefings. But you're They're not, not, not out there are you me.
2: you're the journalist
1: chopper come on tell us who said what
2: you're not out there you're not out there <laughs> come on let's move on shall we? right it's okay his there's an opportunity a lady Thank you. Hi, I'm Jackie Gardner from Coventry, and I've just won a a um, by-election as a Conservative game for 514 majority. So, thank you. (laughs) And I've done a lot of knocking on the doors, a lot of uh, talking to people, and I'm here to ask you, what are we as a party going to do to try and stop the illegal immigration coming across from the continent? They would like to know.
1: Thank you. Brilliant question. Look, the secretary I mean, you're going to hear more from this conference, has been absolutely clear. Look, to win elections, Jackie, I think it was, whether it's by elections or general elections, we have to have a reputation for being competent. That's what the Conservative Party has always been. Some people say, well, you know, I don't like all of their policies, but they're really, really competent. And the way we demonstrate isn't just creating that growing economy, which I know and believe will do, but it's also ensuring that people can get their passports and people can get their driving licence renewed and ensuring that we have a firm hand on immigration and, we will keep, and we're keeping our country safe. So over the months to come, you're going to hear you know, the Prime Minister's mantra of deliver, deliver, deliver is about gripping large parts of government and civil service and make sure it is absolutely re- relentlessly focused on the people's priorities and stopping those small boats, which we'll hear more about this week, uh, is going to be key to How would you stop them if competence. you were your Home Secretary? Well, I don't want to prejudge what's going to be said yeah, well, at the conference this week, but it's absolutely clear to me that uh, where we are now cannot continue, and I'm looking forward to hearing from the Home Secretary about what she's going to do about okay.
2: it. So white, white shirt there, please.
1: Thank you, Leon Hargreaves from Shot. Young people don't just care about the economy. What more are we going to be doing to get young people on board? Well, I think young people do care about the economy, and you did say they don't just care about the economy. Um, Like, uh, well, in fact, there are lots of young people in this room. But when I go around the country as a party, like most political parties in this country, we do have an older membership. So I want to, first of all, as party chairman, make sure that we go out to increase that membership, make it much more diverse, both in terms of young and old women and men. But the other thing, you know, look, uh, quite a lot of this has been lost in the sort of noise we've seen around the the growth plan 2022, one of the things I was really pleased about in that growth plan was cutting stamp duty for first-time buyers because voting Conservative for most young people actually corresponds with them achieving that dream, a dream Conservative Party shares of them them owning their own home. And I think that's a really important thing that we did in the mini-fiscal event is to put home ownership within reach of more and more young people And the reason, by the way, I know a little bit about this because I'm a property lawyer, the reason that stamp duty is so important, because when young people are, you know, got the cost of living in rented accommodation, are having to pay their bills, have got all the expenses they have, and at the same time, they are scrimping and saving to save up the deposit, once they get to 10% deposit or 5% deposit for the property they're buying, They then go and see their mortgage advisor who said, yeah, but you need another three and a half grand to pay your stamp duty. Historically, that's what happened. It's a non-mortgageable cost. And they go, oh, right, I've been saving up for four or five years to get my deposit. And now I've got to wait another two years while I save the extra three, four or 5,000 pounds. So for most of the country... We have taken first-time buyers out of stamp duty altogether, and I think that's a really important message we can say to younger people is that we are on your side on that journey to buying your own home, and I think that's a really important thing that we're doing for people.
2: Okay. Any final questions? The chap at the very front row, thank you. Andrew Byrne, Nottingham City. Uh, I've got substantial investments in the north-west,
0: in Lancashire, where you're from, and everyone I meet up there, including my business partner and the grafters, the builders, the sparkies and that, are in favour of fracking. But we're told this week by the MP for Blackpool South that his people are against it, his constituents are against it. Are we going to frack?
1: So, look, the thing about fracking is I often find that most people are in favour of it, but not necessarily where they live. Um, But what the Prime Minister has set out as her ambition, something I absolutely support, is we've got to make the United Kingdom self-sufficient for energy. We cannot allow a situation where someone can pursue an illegal war in Eastern Europe and hold our country to ransom. By the way, to the cost of, you know, £60 billion, you know, estimated that we're going to have to put into support households with, uh, you know, with, with their bills. So I actually support fracking as long as it's proven to be safe. But I also support the Prime Minister's ambition that in areas that do have fracking... There should be local consent. Let's wait and see what that looks like. But it also feels to me that the other point she's made, quite correctly, is where you expect areas to take the burden of fracking, they also have to take some of the benefit. So I don't know what the people of Blackpool South will say if and when the time comes that they have their local consent, referendum, whatever it may be, plus they get... Information on how they will get some of the benefits of fracking for me, it feels. That's money off bills. Well, I don't, I don't know what it will be because it's yet to be. But to me, it feels like that should be cash off your bill. But you know, let's wait and see what uh, the government decides. But I think that's the most direct way we could help people when they've got all of the information that it's safe, that they get to consent to it, and they get an incentive, whatever that may be. I I don't know. I can't say what it will be at this time. I think people may have a slightly different opinion. But that wider point. We have to make, we cannot be a sovereign nation if we are held to ransom by hostile actors around the world who feel they can turn your central heating off, turn your lights off, and sort of hold us to ransom on energy. And that's why the Prime Minister's let's get energy self-sufficient is absolutely the right thing to do for our nation.
2: Well, on that note, Jake Berry, thank you. Thank you. I'll be back tomorrow with another Chopper's Politics, this time with the Business and Energy Secretary, Jacob Rees-Mogg. We'll ask him your fracking question, and you will encourage him to support the idea of cash off your bills, Jake Berry. Well done, you. Thank you to my guests today, Michael Gove and Jake Berry, and of course, thank you to you for coming and listening. If you want to watch it, watch it again. We're on the Telegraph YouTube channel, and you can listen again by searching for Chopper's Politics wherever you get your podcasts. For the best analysis and uh, gossip from backstage here in Birmingham, please pick up your daily Telegraph Wherever you can find it or go to telegraph.co.uk. You won't regret it. Until next time, Cheerio! Cheerio. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.